Welcome to the Vibrant MD Podcast, where we discuss weight loss, women's health, and food. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Awad, a family doctor and certified weight loss coach. This podcast is informational, but is not meant as medical advice. Anything you want to change after listening should be discussed with your own doctor and personal medical team. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Hello, my vibrant friend. Welcome to the podcast today. I am thrilled to have with me another doctor and coach, Dr. Arpita Gupta de Palma from ThoughtWork MD. Uh, we are talking today about anger. I have multiple clients who express that when they feel angry, they eat their anger. And it's also a complex emotion that's worth talking about on its own. So welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. So what I know about you is you're a pediatrician and a wonderful coach and also the host of the Doctors Living Deliberately podcast with Dr. Michael Hirsch, which is a terrific podcast that I listen to. But what else, what else should we know about you? Oh, gosh, there's so many things. It's so funny. I actually just turned 50 and I had my session with my coach. She gifted me a reflection session where it talked about, okay, let's talk about all your wins and then we'll talk about what you want to do next. And I was like, wow, you know, you don't spend a lot of time celebrating the things you have accomplished. So, I mean, I think you got the big highlights. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, but I'm also a retired pediatrician now. I work primarily as um, a mindset coach with my company, ThoughtWork MD, and I'm also um, still overseeing my husband's medical practice, which kind of weaves into the story that I tell about how I kind of got to where I am today too. And I think that's kind of a lot of it in a nutshell, really quick nugget nutshell of who I am and what I do. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I got to hear you present about anger in a workshop, which I really appreciated. So please tell your story, how you got into anger coaching. Yeah, well, you know, I love talking about this because I think it's hard for people to really own up to it sometimes. There's a lot of fear around the stigma of what people will think when I admit to having issues with anger. And, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things that especially sometimes with women, we're not even supposed to be angry or being perceived incorrectly if we show up angry. And so for me, what was happening is just life, quite frankly. I went to med school residency, you know, started my family with my husband, moved and started practicing. And my practice, I loved my life. I had an amazing setup where I was working part-time in my pediatric office. I was able to take care of the kids. My husband was in an academic position at the local um, institution here and then decided he wanted to start his own practice. And when he did that, I was still practicing, but within a year of that, my practice actually asked me to go full-time because their senior partner was retiring. And I knew from the beginning, and even in residency, I remember thinking, I'm not, I'm I'm going to work two to three days a week because I want to be present and and available for my kids and my family at home. And so when that request came, I knew immediately the answer was no. And so I tried to talk to them about other options of how we could make things work. And it just boiled down to finances for them. And so I stepped down, which was a hard decision for me because I, at that time, didn't really realize how much um, I was tying my self-worth to practicing as a physician, right? And so I don't think we really reflect on that until something happens that makes us not be able to do that. 
So I started initially then looking for other part-time jobs and I really couldn't find anything that fit what I wanted. So that translated into me trying to figure out how am I going to prove my worth, right? And the way, yeah, and the way I figured out how to do it is just by working in my husband's office as kind of like the director of operations, running the, the practice, making sure all the things were happening the way they should. And it was important for it to be perfect and just have the earned respect of the community because it was essentially a reflection on us is how I would, was perceiving it back then at why everything had to be perfect. But that perfectionism there led to me working a lot, like going from 20 hours a week in peds to 60 to 80 hours a week in this office, doing something that I really did not enjoy managing people and all the admin side of medicine. And it just really boiled down to me not recognizing I was making all of this mean I had to work this hard to show how it, that I had some worth, some value, bringing what I was bringing home to the family. And as you can imagine, working 68 hours a week, doing something you don't love, you start to build resentment, you start to build anger. And that's what was happening to me. And I didn't really recognize it, that that's what it was. I just knew that I was coming home, not a happy mom, taking it out on the kids, taking it out on people that I would have interactions with during the day, other vendors, you know, just I wasn't my best self. And I really started to recognize it when my daughter was a junior, almost senior in high school, that I had a year left with her. And I was worried that I would not have a relationship with her once she left the house because what she knew of mom was angry mom. Oh, you know, not somebody she could talk to, not somebody she could count on. And that's when I started recognizing that I needed to make a change because it was impacting me in a way that I didn't like. So that's really powerful. I mean, I, I think a lot of us can, you know, empathize with that feeling that that our work is our worth and it's our identity. Um, and it's so not. And yeah. it's so, yeah. It's so much more and and just even starting to recognize why we are making our value be equated by what we do and create in the world. And it has nothing to do with that. Um, But that takes a lot of self-reflection to get to that point to realize that, hey, I'm valuable and worthy 100% just as I am. And what I, but with whatever I choose to do or not do, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, Yeah. So that kind of gives a little bit of a, background of what happened and where I got to a point where something has got to change. There's a lot of blaming, you know, it's other people's fault, you know, the employee's fault, it's the practice fault, it's my husband's fault that I can't practice anymore. I mean, it just, when you start to look and analyze all the ways you're thinking about things and realizing that you're actually the one creating the angst, that's when you get a minute to say, hey, I don't know if I want to continue this way. So like in terms of thinking that way, is there a different way I can think about it? Right. Yeah. How How did you find your way out? So I had my best friend from residency, Melissa Parsons. She is also a pediatrician and a physician coach now. And she had kind of dabbled in the coaching and had gotten really enmeshed in it years prior to me. Um, being exposed. And I thought she was crazy, quite frankly. I was like, what is she doing? You like, who needs a coach? Coaches are for people who don't have their acts together. And so I kind of really minimized it, didn't really put a lot of weight and time and attention into what she was doing until I hit my rock bottom in a sense where I was like, something has to change. And so I just called her and was telling her about the office. I was complaining about the office that I'm 
so tired of my dependability being dependent on that of others. And with that, she coached me and she's never really coached me before, but I think she could recognize also that I was at a point. And from that, she helped me see that really I was showing up in a way for my kids at home that was not dependable. Like they did not know what type of mom they were coming home to. And so by my constantly thinking that I'm tired of my dependability being dependent on that of others. And because ultimately what we teach with coaching is what we're thinking is what we're creating in our life, right? And so this blame of other people not being dependable was resulting in me essentially not being dependable for my kids. And so that's when I had this huge aha moment that, oh my gosh, what is this magic? You know, I really need to be more aware of how I'm showing up and how I'm thinking about things. And so that's when I started listening to podcasts and learning more about what this was all about. Great, great. Well, I'm glad you did. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) So I, you know, let me tell you about one of my clients and we can't, you know, coach her or really take apart her story, but it it has the flavor of a lot of of my clients. She's a leader in the construction world of a global company. So she worked kind of both virtually and in person with multiple different teams Mm -hmm. around the world. And mostly this was a great experience for her. You know, she felt like she was a mentor and a great leader and collaborative. And she had this one team that she never felt that way about, that they didn't follow her lead. They did not work together well. They did not gel. She was upset by things they were doing in the evening on their free time that she thought was not moral and this kind of thing. And so she was angry every time she worked with them. But then also as their leader, she felt like this was not acceptable because she was kind of angry at the whole thing. And it wasn't like one specific thing or another. And so because she felt like it wasn't socially acceptable, she would on breaks go and eat things to try to buffer away the feeling. But, you know, there's a lot of people that have anger that they don't know what to do with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can explain what I think might be going on. I mean, without speaking to her directly, it's it's yeah. a little bit. But in general, when we have emotions pop up for us, um, we can have positive emotions or negative emotions, right? And positive emotions generally make us feel good. Negative emotions, on the other hand, make us feel bad. You can't have one without the other. But what happens with negative emotions is that we, a lot of times, just don't want to feel them. And we will do anything we can in our power to not feel them. And so a lot of times people will, you know, fall into this trap of resisting emotions where we just kind of push it away. We react to emotions where we act out on what's what's happening or we avoid them. And that's what we call buffering in the coach world, where we do other behaviors that temporarily make us feel better, but ultimately we end up feeling worse at the end. So it sounds like what she's doing is in order to avoid feeling the anger and processing through the anger emotion, she's choosing to buffer by eating instead. So she's choosing to eat as her way of temporarily making herself feel better to avoid feeling the emotion of anger. And so, and it could be looked at that way. It could also be looked at that the way she reacts to her anger is she acts out with eating, which is a a way of that's also not serving her. So it can kind of fall in either category for her. The point is that both of those ways or whichever category we put it in, it's not really productive for her. It's not helping her process through that emotion so that she can come through it on the other side to be able to troubleshoot more effectively and just be her best self. 
And so when we talk about ways we can respond to emotions, it's react, resist, avoid, which are the negative ways, or we can also simply allow the emotion, which is where we allow the emotion to just be there in our bodies, be present with it, to really kind of tap in, to notice where the emotion is showing up for us. And I coach primarily physicians. I coach all women professionals, but primarily physicians. And physicians are the worst at this because we don't know how to feel our feelings, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, we have been taught to not feel the emotions, just to kind of like push through any negative patient encounter or whatever we have and go on to the next thing with a smile on our face. And so it's become really ingrained in us. But I think a lot of people do this. It's become ingrained to not feel our emotions because we're afraid we're going to get stuck in them. We're afraid of how bad they're going to feel. And we're afraid that it's going to keep us from being able to do anything further. And what we don't realize is by not allowing the emotions to be present for us and not sitting through it, it's actually prolonging the suffering. It's making it last longer because inevitably it's going to come back up at some other time. And it's probably going to be much more intense, leading us to behave in a way that doesn't surface well at all. So we ask, when we look at anger in particular, though, too, There's a lot of heat, right? It can feel righteous. It can feel powerful. It can feel like you're in control. But then later, people mostly experience that this was a a still a negative experience. You know, how do you suggest people, you know, deal with anger when they're, when they're noticing that they're so flushed and activated and they're not sure what to do with it? Yeah. I think part of it is just first recognizing and giving yourself props that you have the awareness that this is happening and you want to make it right because that's huge when we get into these patterns of anger reactions and responses and we do it more and more and more it becomes almost an automatic response for us because we know what it's going to feel like at the end we know how it's going to turn out even though it may not be desirable we're understanding that it's comfortable now, it's become a routine and it feels better than any other negative emotion. So the first part that I really like suggest to people who are trying to work on their anger is to just build awareness around what is setting you off and building awareness around how it shows up for you in your body or in the situations that tend to set you off. And then also just giving yourself grace for being able to do that because that's not easy sometimes. Um, that's really the first step. I have a little mini protocol that I, that I do a lot of talks on and I, and I tell my clients about to help get them through it. And I'm happy to talk about that today. And that first step, like I said, is recognizing what activates you, what sets you off, what makes you frustrated or angry when, and a lot of times you might just notice that your heart is starting to have palpitations. You might be noticing flushed in your neck and face or heat in your ears, tension in your shoulders, just building awareness. That is it. That's what you want to do. And then I think we don't realize how repetitious our lives are, you know? So I love that you say that, like, think about the things that set you off, because when you stop and notice, it might, it might be five of the same things every week, you know, or people or situations or. And like yep. the example that you gave with your client, that's the construction worker or the lead in there, I would challenge her to really start to build awareness around what thoughts she's having when she has interactions with those um, people that are reporting to her, her employees, right? Because when we can start to look at the actual sentences that we have running through our mind and break them down, we might start to notice how emotionally loaded they are and how 
not factual they are, right? But that's our thing. It's our brain seeking out confirmation for what we want to believe is true. And unfortunately, that's what fuels our fire. So you really have to pause and ask yourself, is this really accurate? What I'm, what I'm portraying here to myself. So, so yeah. So after you like really start to recognize what sets you off, what are the situations and scenarios? Then you want to build this plan in place for what you're going to do when it happens the next time you encounter it, right? We want to build our life to be more intentional. And the way we do that is start to build the awareness of where we get set off and then devise a plan for what we're going to do the next time we encounter it. This is where it kind of gets very individualized for people. It has to be believable and doable and true for you and sit well in your heart so that it becomes effortless. Because if you feel like it's like a bunch of, you know, hoo-ha and it's not really going to work for you, it's not going to work for you. So customize this. But what I recommend is that first step is when you find yourself becoming activated, angry, in your body, whatever, however it's showing up, I just want you to take a deep breath and pause, right? We have to remind ourselves that there's no urgency to respond right there in the heat of the moment. And it's okay for us to take a breath and even say, I need a minute, okay? So that's the first step. After that, I suggest when it's possible to kind of leave the scenario where you're finding yourself to be activated. So kind of get out of dodge there, go find a bathroom, go find an office, go find a closet, whatever you can, just to give yourself a couple minutes of space and peace. And when you find that space, put your hand on your heart and take five slow, deep breaths. And when we're doing this, this activates our parasympathetic nervous system. It reminds our brain that we are safe, that we're not in any active danger, right? Because when we have an emotional threat, our body does not differentiate that from a physical threat. So that's kind of like the, the, you know, the history of how traumas evolve too. So our primitive caveman brain sees these emotional threats, just like it's a cave, uh, uh, cave, a, a bear, face eating bear coming at us, right? And, uh, and so we have to remind ourselves that we are really safe. We're not in danger like we were years ago. And then after that, after we've given ourselves a minute to calm down and breathe and kind of activate that parasympathetic, I want you to label the emotion that you're having out loud. And a lot of times, especially when we first start doing this work and building the awareness, it's going to be, I'm angry, I'm resentful, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated. But just the act of saying the emotion out loud helps kind of diffuse it a little bit. It helps you process it. It helps you kind of move through it. And that's what we're wanting to do here, right? So when you can not only label the emotion, acknowledge it and label it out loud, but also kind of identify where it's showing up for you in your body, you're able to kind of just sit with it for a minute. And it may not feel great, but as you sit with it, you're probably going to notice that it starts to dissipate and it starts to lessen and it's not as intense. And that is actually processing your emotion. It takes 90 seconds to five minutes to process an emotion. So if we can do this effectively and allow ourselves just be there, embrace it like a labor pain, we come out of it so much more powerful, so much more effective at the end. Nice. And then after that, the last step is just figuring out in your mind, can I go back to this situation right now and handle it with intention, like and show up as my best self? Or do I need to go back and say, hey, I would love to talk to you about this, but we're going to need to schedule another time because I need to do some research or pull in backup or whatever it is that you know you need to do. It is all okay. And one of the key things that I noticed for myself that activates my anger is any sense of urgency. 
So even when I'm in a situation and I sense that urgency, it kind of contributes to my anger. So noticing that we are the ones that are creating the urgency. There's no urgency to respond in these situations for the most part. We can kind of breathe and decide how we want to, how we want to move forward. I love that. And a lot of that, like you said, does kind of translate to all emotions and processing all emotions. But I love that you talk about particularly feeling safe. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's some of the anger comes from a feeling of threat and, and reminding yourself, I am actually safe. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I read somewhere that all anger is a result of a fear that we have. And that can be the fear of just experiencing another negative emotion. And so it's that body fight or flight. Like, how do we keep ourselves safe? And anger, like you mentioned, gives us a false sense of being in control, having power, you know? And so that's why we tend to jump there rather than feeling these negative emotions that might be kind of foreign to us. Right. So that leads me to one of the things I thought was so mind blowing about your workshop about anger was that anger is a secondary emotion. It's a, a lid on top of a bucket. It's a hat on a head. Can you t- tell our audience about that? Yeah, definitely. I wish I had the, my graphic I could put up, but it's anger typically, as I mentioned, is, is our way of kind of feeling more powerful in situations when we are faced with other negative emotions. And those negative emotions can vary. It could be disappointment. It can be shame. It could be regret. It could be, you know, feeling like a victim. All other emotions that we have that don't really feel good, a lot of times, instead of feeling them, we jump to anger because, like I said, it feels anger is more comfortable, more familiar for us. And when we do it over and over and over, it becomes kind of like a habit, like a routine where we know how it's going to end up. And whatever that is, is better than potentially feeling these other negative emotions. And so one of the examples I give is I remember when this is it's a kind of a sad one, but as a mom, we all have so much pride in our kids and we want them to do well. And we, a lot of times for me, before coaching Tiger Mom, always mm-hmm. wanted kids to do well and expected these kids to be able to bring home all the awards and acknowledgements, just like, you know, my brother and I might have when we were in school. Mm-hmm. And so when my daughter was graduating from eighth grade, they do the end of the year ceremony and she didn't have one award. And I remember feeling so much disappointment. I later realized that disappointment was in myself, that what did I not do as a mom to prepare her in a way that would let her have earned those awards? But rather than feeling that disappointment in herself or me at that time in that day, I felt angry instead because I didn't want to feel the disappointment because it didn't feel good. It felt so bad. I was so fearful for getting kind of stuck in this disappointment you know, silo that I jumped to anger and I showed up with her. Why didn't you study hard enough? Why did you work hard enough to get these awards? I showed up in a way that I was not proud of. And again, that's where I noticed that I was angry because anger in that moment felt better than feeling disappointment. So that's kind of like an example of how it works, where when we have another emotion that we don't want to feel, a lot of times we'll jump to anger so we don't have to feel it because anger feels better in the heat of the moment. And what we don't always recognize is that the underlying emotion that's there doesn't go away. It's just going to get stronger and stronger and come back later. So we have to kind of really dive deep and allow ourselves to notice what's going on underneath. And so when I said, you know, when you label your emotion out loud in one of those steps, it might be anger and frustration and irritability in the beginning. 
when you really start to do this work and settle in and you ask yourself, if I remove the anger, what am I feeling? That's when you dive down to the core feeling that you're having that you're, you're not really wanting to feel. That's, that's super powerful. I actually have been looking at this personally since I, it's actually been about a year since I saw you from workshop. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed, you know, you take the different situations that make you angry. And I noticed that some of them I was ready to work on and, and pull that lid off and look what was under. And there are some that are, that I still see that there's a lid, <laughs> yeah. a lid on something else that I'm, you know, thinking, well, you know, maybe now is the time to work on that one. But some are, some of those are easier than others, right? Oh, definitely. It's, it's totally. It's like, what is the most painful emotion for us and why? It's because we believe it to be true, even though it may not be. And so we ultimately get to decide if we want to believe a statement or a thought or an opinion to be true about us. And so this is where a lot of the thought work comes in, where we can kind of examine what are we believing in our brains and do we want to continue to to think that way or can we consider other options that might help us feel a little better yeah I don't know. there are people that anger is you know a two-way street they get angry we get angry or we get angry and they get angry can you talk a little bit about that because that some people that's their experience too yeah i totally this is me and my husband 100 percent and called mirror neurons where when i and, and it doesn't only work with anger this is with so many different emotions like if you there's an experiment that, well, let me tell you what it is first. Mirror neurons is when somebody's having an emotion, a very intense emotion, and you're in an area witnessing it, that you oftentimes will feel that emotion as well. Even though you are not, you know, having the same thoughts as them or the experiences that they are, it's just a mirror neuron where we kind of have that same emotion from that magnetic field that we're in. And so there's, I, I read about this exercise that if you sit there and start laughing, with somebody sitting in front of you and just have them looking at you, they won't be able to not laugh eventually. You'll both be laughing. Even if it's a, an artificial laugh in the beginning, you both by the end of it are going to be laughing. Yeah. So this thing happens with anger, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Yeah. This, you know, when I first started having awareness around this, I was like, oh, now this makes so much sense. Why my husband, when he walks in and he's pissed, I just get pissed automatically. And yeah. I don't even really know why, you know, this is because we have the ability to be empaths with other human beings. So we're picking up on the vibes that they're putting out there in the universe. And a lot of times when it's somebody that we're really close to, we internalize that and portray that as well. And so the mirror neurons with anger are really key to pick up on, because when you start to notice that I do this, that when my husband's really angry, I'm really angry. You can then kind of also plan in advance for how you're going to handle that. And what I suggest is that you have a conversation with your partner or spouse or whoever this happens to or with for you in a time when you're not both activated and just say, hey, I've noticed that this happens to me because I care about you so much that it just kind of like jumps on me and, it, and I start getting angry. So the next time I notice that you're really angry, I'm going to say, hey, I think you need a moment. I see that you might be activated. I'm going to take a minute so I can show up as my best self as well and just remove yourselves. But when you plan in advance for that's how you're going to respond, it's not misconstrued as being passive aggressive or whatever. And that actually helps build that connection between you two, because inevitably when your spouse or partner is in what we call a pain body or a funk where they're angry or just not in a place where you 
are going to be able to reach them and connect with them, no matter what you say or do, it's going to just further activate them. So that's your opportunity to recognize when are they in a pain body and when can I step aside to give them space that, that they need so that we can be more productive together. That's beautiful. You know, I, I want to just let our audience know, too, that, you know, as doctors, we do a lot of practicing for medical emergencies. You know, like, what do we do if someone falls over and they're not breathing? What do we do if, you know, there's a a disaster or whatever? And and we can, tr- we especially physician coaches, we love to translate this because we can practice and be prepared for what feels like an emotional emergency. And this is a very good, helpful thing to do that really... It, it may sound silly as we describe it, but it, it really gives you some real personal power and helps you feel very common centered in the moment at a time when you know that normally you are not common centered, right? Right. I think one of the things that I picked up on was, again, like I said, I felt like I was very much so in power or had control when I was showing up angry, especially when it was like, you know, in situations where I was leading with other people that when I was angry, people would pay attention, they would listen, they would do what I would suggest or say or or instruct them to do. And in actuality, what I realized was happening is when I showed up angry, I was losing credibility. Like people did not believe that I really was capable of doing it because I was not able to be emotionally intelligent in those times, right? Because when emotion is high, intelligence is low. And that's what was how I was showing up. So part of the reward and the incentive for doing this work is starting to recognize how you are received when you start to make a change and when you start to shift and how much more people are actually likely to pay attention and listen and take instruction when you're able to lead in a way with that poise. And, and so that that's the work that this entails and involves and anybody can do it. It just takes being intentional about it. Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. really nice. So I liked to, so you talked about paying attention to what's going on at work when you're, when you're trying to lead. You talked about trying to catch the thoughts that people are thinking about people at work when you're, especially when you're leading and feeling angry toward them. How about if you have someone else that gets angry and you feel that anger? And is this the time that you excuse yourself and say, I really have to go to the bank? <laughs> if you, you know, <laughs> it totally depends on the situation. Who? Yeah. Yes, and what the situation is. And I think there's different ways to handle different pockets of people in your life, right? I think, you know, as a practice owner, we have employees, so we have staff that we're responsible for. And I had to really start to look at it from a different perspective when I was interacting with them, when things were not going the way I wanted them to go. And part of it was me also shifting as a leader and asking myself, you know, when there was maybe a disagreement or we weren't seeing eye to eye, what is... 10% of what they're saying, that's right or correct, right? What's a different way to look at it rather than, no, you're not right. This isn't going to work. What is 10% of what they're saying accurate and how we can move forward with? And then another thought that I have that really has helped me with leading individuals, employees, other people who I'm not, you know, emotionally connected to is, you know, can I just believe in my heart that they're doing the best that they can with what they have, right? Because a lot of times we pull forward our experiences with past people, past employees, and it's almost like a micro trauma where we assume that the next person who we have in that position is going to behave the same way. And so we really have to be mindful that we're not carrying that forward and that we're giving everybody that chance that are they doing the best they can? And maybe the best that they can do is not exactly what we can do, but 
how is it a strength in the situation that we're in? I think with your kids and your family members, you know, part of it is having that unconditional love. And yes, we have guidelines and rules and things that have to happen in the household to keep the household running and everybody doing their part. But can I say it in a way where I'm removing the emotion when things are not happening the way they should? And then can I show up with the unconditional love for them at all the other times? Because ultimately, they're just also doing their best. I mean, that's, I think, super important. And I think one of the other areas is just other people, like dealing with difficult people or people that you don't mesh with, like toxic individuals, people in your friend circle who you may not be 100% meshing with. Again, part of me is getting to a point where I start to find myself saying that they are exactly who they are and I can choose to love them for who they are without necessarily telling them that I do that just so that I can feel better for my own sake, right? How can we get to a place where we're in peace with what we're feeling for other people, even though they may not be people that we want to spend a lot of time with, so it doesn't ruin our experience in the moment? Um, and that's not easy to do always. I'm not saying it's cake, but we get to ultimately choose how we want to show up for our own sake. Very nice. I have a client who her family is growing older and they're starting to leave the nest. And then the adult children are starting to have their new lives. And she really has done the work of going through each person, you know, each of the three children, the mother-in-law, the husband, and as because as things change, the relationships change and to, you know, go through a process, all these people that she cares a lot about, but are almost all rubbing up against her because her life is changing and, and new. And so it's, you know, really rewarding. And she's been really thankful to do the work. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it ultimately boils down to how do we want to feel at the end of the day? And we are the ones that control how that is by how we choose to think about things. And so, you know, we can sit and stew about things that people do that bug us and, you know, just not feel good about it. Or we can recognize when we might be a little bit inflammatory with how we're choosing to think about it. And ultimately, we're the only ones suffering from that. So, you know, it's it's up to you. And it's not living. It's not, I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and not see things, you know, when you have employees and children and things that you have to manage, it's okay to have your policies and rule books in place, but the key is removing the emotion from it then. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for bringing all this to the, to the podcast today. It's a fascinating, complex topic. So. Yeah. So I appreciate it. I love talking about it. It's definitely not the only thing I like to talk about because as you can imagine, always talking about anger, you might be like, man, that person's angry, but never. It's one of my passions for sure. I do enjoy talking about it. Thanks. Well, you have a, tell us, you have a, an anger course. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I have created a course online. It's an online course only so that you can watch some video modules to learn about the different kind of components around anger and, you know, different scenarios and situations where it comes up, how we can create a protocol for ourselves other tools such as the heart math breathing and, you know, how trauma also kind of factors in our past traumas and how it might show up as anger. So that's an online course that I offer through my website if anybody wants to go to. And then I also do one-on-one coaching for women professionals and physicians who want to up-level any area of their life, not just in anger. So that's that's been my joy and bringing me joy and what I'm passionate about. Great. Well, I will make sure that we have all of your contact information in the show notes. But if you want to say out loud to the people that are just listening, where they can find you online. 
Sure. I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. I think Facebook and Instagram is ThoughtworkMD. Instagram is my name, Arpita De Palma. And then my website is www.thoughtworkmd.com. I also have a podcast that you mentioned. It's Doctors Living Deliberately that I do with my co-hosts. And we just focus on topic, talking about all these different topics that we have faced as physicians, but really not even just physicians. It's just giving you nuggets of gold to how to up-level your life in different ways. So, Well, thank you again for being here today. Thank you for having me, Heather.